Gracious God, thank you for the gift of your wisdom. Thank you for being with us every day. Thank you for the season of Lent in which we prepare our hearts and our spirits for getting close to you. We acknowledge you for who you are, and we seek your truth today and every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Hear this reading from the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 18 to 25. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, God decided through the foolishness of our proclamation to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs, Greeks desire wisdom, but we proclaim Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Our gospel reading comes from the book of John, chapter 2, verses 13 to 22. The Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and the money changers seated at their tables. Making a whip of cords, he drove all of them out of the temple, both the sheep and the cattle. He also poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. He told those who were selling doves, take these things out of here. Stop making my father's house a marketplace. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. The leaders of the temple then said to him, what sign can you show us for doing this? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days, I will raise it up. Then they said to him, This temple has been under construction for 46 years, and you will raise it up in three days. But he was speaking of the temple of his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. 
This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. The people in our reading today are in a time of preparation. They're getting ready for the Passover. So it's a good text for the season of Lent in which we are also in a time of preparation, getting ready for Easter. Jewish people were coming from all over to Jerusalem in order to make the ritual sacrifices they needed to be purified for their festival, for their holiday. Now, by the time the book of John is written down, the temple in Jerusalem has already been destroyed by the Roman military. And if you are an early Jewish Christian and you're reading the book of John, it's something of a flashback to a pivotal moment of history in which... the place where God's very presence, the temple, which was needed for sacrifice, was destroyed even to the present day. This flashback is its meant to underscore for the reader the significance of the person of Jesus, not just as the Messiah they expected, to lead a revolt that would overthrow the Roman Empire and establish a Jewish kingdom that could never be defeated. But reveal Jesus is the very presence of God, the new temple, and also the ultimate sacrifice. In this flashback, Jesus cleanses the temple with a whip. He was angry for good reason and I believe that he was not the only angry person around after all turning a temple into a market is honestly just kind of tacky isn't it it doesn't seem like the kind of thing that should be done everybody knew this But Jesus is the one that stood up. Now you might ask how I know that Jesus wasn't the only one angry. That many people were upset by the buying and the selling and the currency exchange. Well, exhibit A to support my claim is that the temple supported the wealthy aristocrats of the city by making loans to the poor, which led to mounting debt that threatened their ability to continue to own their own land. There were already some shady dealings going on between the rich and the powerful and the educated wealthy elite. Exhibit B. About 30 years after the events 
that we read about in the book of John, in which Jesus goes into the temple. He uses a whip to drive out the animals. He turns over the tables of the money changers and it gets confronted by the people running the place. The Jewish people revolt against Roman occupation. And the first thing that they do is they go to the temple. They find the records. Records of of all the debt of who owed what to who. And they burn them. This shows that in the minds of the people, this indebtedness practice taking place in the temple had a lot to do with the power of Rome. People knew that the religious institution centered around the temple and its sacrifice and worship was helping the rich and powerful exploit them and keep them poor and in constant reliance on them. So I would say that almost everyone was on the same page, that the conduct of those running the temple, the educated, the elite, the wise, as they very likely saw themselves, was not acceptable. Why? Because it was giving a bad deal to those who could least afford it. So why hadn't anyone put a stop to it? If it was so wrong and it was so clearly something that shouldn't be happening in God's temple, why hadn't anybody done anything about it? Because to do so would be incredibly foolish. You will never, you'll never be in more danger than when you are threatening the wealth and the power of the wealthy and powerful. The spiritual power of the temple combined with the military might of the Roman Empire is seemingly unconquerable. If you want to offer sacrifice, if you want to be purified so you can fully participate in your culture, in the life of your community and family, you have got to go through them. There's no other game in town. You have to play by the Romans' rules. And in shutting that whole system down with a whip in his hand, Jesus was acting as a revolutionary. In fact, this incident was the one that was really across the line for the power broker's and the deal makers of the city. This is when it was decided that Jesus had to go. This is when it was decided that Jesus must die. And one week later, Jesus was tortured, publicly humiliated, crucified. So cleansing the temple was a risky, dangerous, revolutionary act that also did not stop the temple. It operated for another 30 years. 
until it was finally destroyed by the Romans. But Jesus was not merely a revolutionary. Jesus was a prophet. So his action of cleansing the temple was a prophetic action. Jesus' action shows us that because the building of the temple has been corrupted, he himself is now the sacred location in which the sacrifice for sins must be made once and for all. The authorities come to Jesus to challenge this prophetic action because it is unprecedented and foolish. They ask him to justify what he has done. What possible reason could there be for you to disrupt all of these good people as they are trying to get ready for Passover? See, these are wise people who are getting in Jesus' face. And the thing about wise people is they always have a really good reason for the shady things that they're up to. They have a lot of responsibilities after all, and it might be hard for the lesser and unfortunate folk at the bottom to understand how much uh, rigorous effort it takes to keep a city uh, running like this. And it's not easy dealing with the Romans. And so if I get a little bit of a kickback off of that, well, that's just God's blessing on me. And after all, wasn't I called? Wise people can justify all kinds of mess. While they're busy keeping the wheels of society turning, supporting the status quo, keeping the Romans from destroying the temple, they go up to Jesus and they say, if you're so smart, if you're so holy, why don't you just explain it to us? How should this work, Mr. Wise Guy? There's a big difference between a wise man and a wise guy, isn't there? Tell us, Jesus, how does what you just did make any sense at all? You're a fool. And if you are from God, why don't you show us a sign that God really is on your side? You don't like the Romans in here? Well, then why don't you go ahead and be who we all know you're claiming to be, Mr. Messiah. Now, in response to the challenge of these wise people, Jesus says this, destroy this temple. And within three days, I will raise it right back up again. Now, that is a very odd thing to say. And (laughs) the wise people know this. They must have thought he was truly a fool at that point. 46 years the building was under construction and you're going to rebuild it in three days. These experts were too smart for their own good. They missed the revelation of God right in front of them. To be fair, the disciples missed it too and rarely are the disciples ever criticized for their wisdom. What Jesus said only made sense in hindsight. But I know that I have had many wise 
spoke in my life, wanting to know how what I do makes sense or what sign I might be able to offer that God is really leading and guiding and calling me and I totally understand why Jesus gave them an answer that they wouldn't even be able to make sense of anyway because they aren't interested. That's not a real question. You know the kind of people will ask you a question that's really a statement? They aren't interested in who Jesus is and in, in the people that Jesus is serving. They just want him gone. And so they come for him later in the dark of the night where they know nobody is going to be able to protect him or stop them from what they're doing. And they arrest him while he prays in the night. Now, I have had enough bad advice from good people to last me a lifetime. Wise people are always good guys in their own minds. Everything they do has a reason and they wouldn't have done it if it wasn't a good idea. They're good, upstanding citizens. But they give the worst advice. And I've had it up to here with wise men and wise women steering me in the wrong directions all because they know so much about what it takes to make it and be successful in the world. I don't care how many letters you have behind your name. I don't care how many boards or committees you sit on. I don't care who you know or how much power you have over me. I don't care if it hurt your feelings when I stood up for myself. I don't care if you think that... Now, y'all, I am prepared to preach myself into some trouble here, so I need you to have my back when I say that I don't care. I need you to believe that I do not care. And I'm not interested in answering or providing any kind of sign for people who are too wise to see what's right in front of them. If you can't get me to where I'm going, all I want to say to you is get behind me, Satan. You see, the path to crucifixion with Christ is hard enough without getting help from other people. Have you ever gotten help from somebody? Have you ever had someone maybe in a position of authority over you and they just want to help you? do your job or help you fit in or help you find your voice or help you comply to whatever kind of shady business they are running. I've known many kinds of wise helpers trying to keep me away from what God has called me to. And if you've ever had somebody help you, because they already know what's best for you. You know exactly what I'm talking about when I say I would rather be a fool for God than wise for anybody else. Now, it might seem foolish to think that you can change the world just by making relationships. It might seem foolish to think that you can change the world just by our 
a small, small church, somehow, two pastors that I think are wonderful and amazing, wonderful lay leader, wonderful youth that do their own ministry, wonderful lay people who are all engaged and love the work of God. It might seem foolish from the outside or on paper to believe that such a small group could make history. Which is why I am praying, Lord, send me some fools. I don't want any more wise people trying to help me do anything at all. I don't want them to help me set the tables back up. I don't want them to help me get the money changers coins back in the purses. I don't want them to help me track down the sheep and the cattle. I don't want them to help me find the whip wherever it flew off to. I don't want them to help me get the doves all back in order. I don't want them to help me do anything. All I want them to do is wonder how I could possibly rebuild something in three days when it's not even done being built yet and it's been 46 years. I am wanting God to send me a fool. God, send me some people with a zeal for your house. Send me, Lord, some revolutionaries. God, send me some prophets who can hear what the Spirit says to the church. In the Old Testament, there's a story about a tower. Now, human beings had come together and it just so happens that when human beings collaborate and coordinate and work together on one goal, it just so happens that there's nothing they cannot accomplish. And so, when humans had decided that they were going to build this tower all the way to heaven, the story goes that God was inclined to confuse their languages so that they could no longer cooperate with each other. And in so doing, they could not coordinate to do some very wise things like build a tower someplace that they didn't have any business being. And in the church age, the beginning of the book of Acts, we see something very powerful and intriguing. The Bible says that the Christians had gathered together. They were all in one accord. And then a sound like a rushing mighty wind came blowing into the room. Tongues of fire came down and rested on each of them and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave utterance so that they could understand and interpret one another despite speaking different languages. You see, the power of the Spirit is in us making relationships with one another as the work of the Tower of Babel comes undone and we again access the power that comes from us 
being together. The power of relational action that cannot be stopped. That great reversal is a sign to us, even now as we prepare our hearts, that what we're preparing for is not just for God, but for each other. For a community, for those who have not yet begun to speak. Those who are muted by the power of the world. Muted by temples. Muted by empires. Muted by money changers. Muted by money lenders and debt. People who need liberated. And you know another funny thing about that chapter of Acts is that people who were just standing by assumed that all of this babble they were hearing was because all those Christians were drunk out of their minds. They appeared foolish to everyone around, but what they were doing was unleashing the power of a God that was about to overturn the greatest empire that history had ever seen. They were building a community of the poor, the marginalized, the oppressed, the outcast. And what they did brought us to where we are today. So you might not think that there are enough of us to change the world, but I will tell you, don't underestimate the effect that just 12 people or so can have on history. I know yesterday I met two sisters that are both committed to the work of liberation and share the same values that I do, and I only know that why, because I reached out to them to make a relationship. Now when I go to uh, organize and work on Uh, ending homelessness in our city and addressing our our crisis and and, and the lack of affordable housing, I know two people to bring on board right away. When I want to uh, talk to someone about Catholic social principles and how important it is that a child who maybe was raised with Uh, No indicator in their own family of right and wrong how important it is that they have someone, somewhere, someplace to go where they can hear that their life is worth something because they are made in the image of a loving God. When you are that for somebody, you are the sound of a rushing mighty wind. You are a tongue of flame from heaven with no translation needed. You are the very love of God on earth. You are an annex of the temple that is the body of Christ in which we all live and move and breathe and have our being. Will you be a fool with me today in believing that God is going to do new and amazing things through us and the relationships that we make with others. God, send me some fools today. Amen. If there are any fools on the line, I will be meeting with uh, a... uh, community organizer that we'll be working with. His name is Paul Nixon. 
If you are a member of all of that and you have a vested interest in seeing your church be all that God intends for it to be, then I'm talking to you. We uh, want your input. We want you on our community organizing team. If I can get three to seven fools, that is ideal. But I will take one fool to, to get in this meeting with me and dream up impossible dreams and dare God to make those dreams come true for God's glory and for all who need liberation on earth. Thank you so much for being a part of this ministry today. Uh, If you want to support us financially, uh, you can continue to do that through uh, our Tithely app. If you want to support us by prayer, please do so. You can support us by letting me know that that you're with us. Uh, sometimes uh, people I don't know watch you'll leave a, a comment and I w- didn't even know you were you were with us some, some of you will send a message please send a message I'm, I'm glad to hear from you um, everything that we are doing is for the glory of God but it will take people power it will take resources and I believe that we're going to find everything we need to do things that we wouldn't dream possible right now And it's really going to blow our minds. With all that said, uh, I will say uh, peace be with you. And we'll see you next week.